The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. In pretty much every society throughout history, there has been a quest for immortality. So, which is kind of interesting if you stop and think about it. It seems obvious, but just ponder with me that every generation of humans in every society, I mean, there are wildly different traditions throughout history, but virtually every single culture and every single generation has had uh, very few things that are, that are similarly built into their, their, their thinking. And one of the most common, if not expressed in some way in every society and every generation, is this idea that death is something, if possible, to find victory over. Like death is something to be overcome with some kind of afterlife. Like this desire for immortality. I mean, you can see it just expressed commonly throughout history. I mean, imagine the 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 ancient Egyptians with their pharaohs, and they would they would bury their pharaohs just jam-packed with all these things hoping for some kind uh, of afterlife. But it's even expressed in a monument here in our own state, the state of Florida. If you uh, took a field trip at some point, maybe you stopped with your family uh, through St. Augustine, you can stop at this space called the Fountain of Youth. And you too can have the privilege of drinking from this ancient fountain water that apparently will make you live forever. And if you don't believe me, I mean, I actually have a picture. I have a document uh, of this location. Here you go. You go to St. Augustine. You go to the fountain. of. I mean, it says it right there. If there's a plaque there, it's got to be true, okay? And this water, you can see just a couple little spouts coming out there, fed from a deep underground spring that comes up and it pours out and you can get a small little cup and you can take the water and you can drink it. And if you have, as you drink deeply from this ancient water that goes deep underground, you discover it's the most wretched tasting liquid you could possibly drink down. Like maybe like that, that's the cost, okay, of, of immortality. But apparently, uh, apparently that is uh, what Ponce de Leon, according to the legend, was looking for the fountain of youth. If you drink of that fountain, you will, uh, as often as you do, you will never, um, you'll never die. You'll stay youthful. And so apparently he was hunting that down. So we memorialize it and we send hundreds of thousands of tourists to drink the disgusting water every year. Through, the great, through our great state. Okay, and so, um, but the interesting reality behind the history is most historians will now say almost certainly uh, Ponce de Leon was not really looking for the fountain of youth, but that was written about him later by his political rivals. And they wanted to make him look crazy and they wanted to make him look vain and so they wrote in that that's what he was after to try and kind of denigrate his reputation but it's one of the all-time backfires 
Because now history always remembers Ponce de Leon. Very few of us could name his rivals, but we all remember him for going after the Fountain of Youth. So it's great irony, huge backfire. And maybe the reason that we, are, we remember that is not just because it's here in our state, but because that pursuit of the Fountain of Youth, that pursuit of immortality, has such a romance to it. It strikes such a chord deep inside that this ongoing passage of time, this, this impending reality that everyone faces of death, it's hardwired inside of us that that is something we should search out and find victory over and search out immortality. Now, maybe um, you don't think about this every day, probably not. You don't think about your mortality and like, well, <laughs> wonder if today's the day. Could be, you know. I hopefully you don't think about that every day, um, and that's maybe not something we're always thoughtful of. But I think if we pause to think about it, what we believe about that is affecting us every single day. It's one of those hardwired realities that is shaping everyday life and everyday decisions. And what the Bible says, some, it says something so profound that if we believe it, it on what it says about that, what the Bible claims is it sets us free in a way that shapes and redefines everyday life. And it's offered to us as a, as a gift to be set free today. Let me show you what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. If you have a Bible or Bible app, take a moment and let's be ministered to by this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We, uh, there's two different books. Uh, we call them books. They were letters written to the Corinthians. We've been looking at different parts of these letters written to the city of Corinth. This is the uh, what we call 1 Corinthians and we're going to look at chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, here's where he's going. He said, I've already preached the gospel to you. You've received the gospel. It's of first importance. It's the most important thing. And then he reminds them what it is. Here he goes. This is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, let's just get our bearings here before we, we continue on. This is one of the richest 
sections of the New Testament. Absolutely profound. It is the crescendo of this entire letter of 1 Corinthians. He says, I, I'm reminding you what I've preached to you, the gospel, the good news. I'm reminding you of the good news. He says, this is of absolute first importance. Everything else, everything else I taught you, everything else you believe, everything else is secondary to this most important truth. He says that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised back to life on the third day, and all of that was in accordance to the scriptures in the Old Testament. That was all promised according to the scriptures. And he's challenging them to stand firm on this. Now, there's a very specific reason he's challenging them that, and we'll get to that in just a second, but let's not move past this too quickly. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And he's embedding in here two evidences of this message that it is the truth. And the first one is he says, all of this is in accordance with the scriptures. God didn't like all of a sudden pull an e-break as he was going along through the Old Testament and do something new and something different. The whole Old Testament is pointing to this truth. The whole New Testament is pointing back to this truth. It is the centerpiece of everything God has revealed to humanity. It is the centerpiece of all of the universe. And he says, all of this, this gospel that Jesus Christ died according to, died for our sins, was buried, was raised on the third day. That is all foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Now there's so much in the Old Testament that points to this. But just a few things that are just particularly powerful, I, I think. Isaiah 53 it's where we're told that one is coming, and this is written 700 years before the time of Jesus, at least. Isaiah writes, there's, telling us there's one who's coming, a suffering servant, that the Messiah will be one who will suffer, that he'll be pierced for our transgressions. He'll be crushed for our iniquities. By his stripes, we will be healed. It's foreshadowing that some will suffer, that one will come to suffer to save us from our sins. It's right there in the Old Testament. It's there in, in this, the whole sacrificial system, all of these laws, it's anticipated over and over that a, some, a sacrifice will die in our place to pay for our sins. I mean, it's in the feasts, Passover, imagine. A lamb will be sacrificed and those who are under the blood of the lamb, death passes over them. And it's at that exact time of year on Passover that Jesus Christ, the true lamb, suffered and died. Right there on, on Passion Week, on Holy Week. It's right there in the Old Testament that he would die to pay for our sins. But it's also there that he would be buried 
and that he would be raised on the third day. That is a framework you see all through the Old Testament, anticipating a third day victory, anticipating a third day raising up. It's there right there in the famous story of Daniel where there's a, there's a, 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 a over his life, he's condemned to die, and then he's thrown down into a pit with hungry lions, and on the third day, they roll the stone away and raise Daniel out of the pit un unimaginably alive. It's right there when Abraham is going to sacrifice his only son of promise on a hill outside of Jerusalem, and he tells his friends, even though I, he doesn't tell them, but he knows he's going to kill him, but he, he's anticipating that his son Isaac will be re resurrected back to life, and he says, I will be back with to you on the third day. It's right there when Esther goes and is praying for three days because she's going to stand before the king. And on the third day, she's going to find victory. He doesn't pronounce death over her. He pronounces life over her. Over and over and over, Jonah gets thrown into the, the sea. This chaotic sea gets swallowed by a fish. And this fish swims down and he prays. He says, I feel like I'm going down into death, into Sheol. And it's on the third day that he comes up out of what felt like death, spit up back on dry land over and over and over we're told to anticipate one would come and suffer and die for our sins but one would raise to life in victory on the third day it's all moving towards this one incredible truth fulfilling all of these old testament promises but the second evidence he says look his followers saw him alive and you say well i mean people back then they'd believe anything wouldn't they no, they were thinking human beings that, like us, have never seen someone die and come back to life. So Paul says, look, he appeared to, to Peter and to all of the 12 and then 500 of his followers. And he tells the Corinthians, many of them are still alive. You can go ask them. They saw Jesus dead and buried, and then they saw him alive. Well, maybe he wasn't like fully dead. Maybe he didn't totally die on the cross. So what that means is he was beaten, whipped within an inch of his life, filleting open his back in complete shock, nailed to a cross, suffering on there for hours, and then thrown into a tomb. And if he wasn't fully dead, then the alternative would be he somehow rolled a stone away, and without modern medicine, that wouldn't have been able to probably preserve his life anyway at that point. He crawled out in such a pathetic view of human life, but that appearance was so much to take a, a band of, of his followers that had hidden for their lives, they had run for their lives, cowering in fear of the mightiest empire in human history, the Roman Empire up until that point, and all of a sudden seeing this half-dead creature, mostly dead creature, was enough to turn that all around and send them giving the rest of their lives reversing the course of their messaging and giving their lives that they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead? No, it's impossible. Jesus died, buried, rose again. His followers saw it, and they announced that through all of the world. And its testimony is right here preserved for us. And Paul is saying, I, I delivered this gospel that Jesus rose from the dead dead for our, paying for our sins, buried, risen to life of first importance. Stand firm on this, this gospel. Now here's why he says that. Look at verse 12. 
We'll just read the, this one verse. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Here's what he's saying. He's saying the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the idea of an afterlife of heaven are completely inextricably linked. Now, if you ask most in our society, statistically, most of our city, uh, most would believe that there's a heaven, that there's life after death, that we all go to a better place. Way fewer, a fraction, would believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible is anchoring those two realities to each other. I mean, if, if without the idea of Jesus rising from the dead, the idea of an afterlife, it's just, well, I kind of hope, like I'm wishing that there's a better place. I'm, it's kind of a fantasy that I hope is a reality. But think of the gravity of whether or not that's true. In almost every other part of my life, I demand far more evidence, far more to go on than just kind of a hope. I hope that there's kind of a better place. I mean, if my children came and one of them's like, Dad, can I have $5? I'm going to say, well, uh, what are you going to use it for? You know, well, what's it for? Oh, don't worry about it, Dad. Just trust that it will be for something okay. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm not going to give you $5. Dad, can I have a dollar? All right, here's a dollar. You know, it's fine. I think my threshold's $5. That's when I start asking questions. $5 is my threshold. But with eternal life, Do we not ask any more questions? Can you, put a, can you put a quantity on forever or not? I mean, how, how do we just have this wish that there's heaven without the anchor that God, knowing this great enemy that needed to be defeated, sent one Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to die and defeat that enemy and rise up as evidence that we too will rise. So he's linking these two ideas. I mean, it's, it's just a fantasy and a hope that there's some kind of afterlife without the resurrection. But notice what Paul is addressing. He's not addressing the city of Corinth. He's addressing the church of Corinth. He's addressing people who have already embraced the gospel. He's addressing fellow believers. He's addressing people who have already accepted the gospel, and he's, he's urging them to stand firm on it. So, in fact, it's actually the inverse. He's saying that there are people there in the Corinthian church that are clear on the resurrection of Jesus, but they're fuzzy on the afterlife. They're like, no, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I'm not 100% sure about heaven. We'll say, well, that's odd. I mean, most people that are sure about the resurrection of Jesus, I mean, it's because they're wanting heaven. And I think what Paul is saying is there are some that are, there are some believers that are, they, they put their faith, they're sure on the resurrection of Jesus. But heaven has never shifted in their mind to something more than just, well, I kind of wish and hope that that's what it is. I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's what I'm banking on. It's not a firm, fixed, 
reality that has reframed our lives. See, there's a way you can say you believe in, in heaven, but it's kind of practically speaking, it's not really changed much about your life. Watch what he says. He's going to keep going here. Let's pick it up in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He's linking these two things. He's saying, look, if, if heaven is not an absolute fixed reality that you can bank your life on, if, if a life after this death through Jesus, if that is not completely life-alteringly true, then Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Like, they're inextricable. And if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we got a whole host of other problems. He says, okay, if we're not like 100% like, yes, eternity is where I'm gonna be with God forever. Like, 100%, that's where I'm gonna go. Like, I believe it. I'm, I'm freed to believe that. If I'm not 100% on that, then like, maybe the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen. If the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, he says, well, let's just start here. It's not just like, well, even if it's not true, it's a nice message about Jesus. I mean, it's a hopeful message. He says, no, then we're misrepresenting God. He says, then if the resurrection of Jesus is not true, then what we're saying is blasphemy because we're putting words in God's mouth saying God, uh, God sent Jesus and God raised Jesus. And, and if we're saying he did that and he didn't, one day when we stand before God, we're going to be answering for blasphemy. This is our preachings in vain. Like it's not okay. He says, but also your, your faith is in vain. Like Christianity as a faith, if there's no Jesus risen from the dead, it all falls apart. That's the anchor, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look what he says. Let's keep going. Let's pick it up in, in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He says, listen, here's how central the resurrection is to everything. He says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you're still in your sins. That means, here's the, he's giving the good news. The good news is Jesus Christ died to pay for our sins, buried and rose again on the third day. That's the good news. The good news is because there's bad news first. 
We have sin in our life. Every one of us have sinned against God. And the bad news is the just penalty for that sin is an eternity away from God in hell, receiving the just wrath from God for our sin. And the further bad news is there's no amount of good living. There's no amount of religious activity. I can't pray enough to be saved. I can't, uh, I can't be kind enough to be saved. I can't just look around and say, well, I'm better than that guy. And you should see my coworker and compared to some of my family members, like I'm much better than them. I can't say that. It, the bad news is I am completely lost facing an eternity away from God because of my sin. But in the goodness and love and mercy of God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the Son of God, came as the sacrifice, dies on the cross, is buried, and raises to life on the third day. And if that's not true, if he didn't raise to life, if he didn't raise to life, then... He wasn't the Messiah. If he didn't raise the life on the third day, he wasn't the Messiah. And if he wasn't the Messiah, then we've put our hope in the wrong person. We're lost without the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day. We're still in our sins, facing an eternity away from God. But secondly, he says that all those who've gone before us have perished if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, there is no reason spiritually, religiously, or logically to have any hope that there's anything after this life. But God sent us his Messiah and raised him to life to show us. And thirdly, he says, if in this life, if this is all that we have, we're to be pitied. Can we just pause and reflect on this? Like if this is all that life is, if we can put aside the busyness and the, the running on the treadmill, the hamster wheel of just day after day after day after day after day, can we just pause and reflect if this is all there is? I mean, doesn't there seem like there has to be something more? Like if this is all there is, just the unstoppable passage of time until the end, which is death, then we are to be pitied. Then there's verse 20. But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He says, Christians, it is a fact, that is the fact, Jesus Christ, perfectly fulfilling the Old Testament, rose from the dead. He suffered with, with piercings, nailed, near, nails pierced through his wrists and through his feet. He was striped and all of that to pay for our sins. And on the third day, as was foretold so many times over and over, he rose again and he appeared. He says to all of us who his disciples, hundreds and hundreds, who their lives utterly transformed. They went to their deaths, sometimes their grisly deaths, violent, tortured, sometimes persecuted deaths, saying, you can do what you want to me. I saw Jesus alive. Nothing could turn someone such a, a 360 than seeing their Savior alive like that. He says that is the fact, and Jesus is just 
the first fruits of those who are to, to, to rise. That means we come after him. The first fruits are a promise of more to come. Because Jesus rose from the, from the dead, we too will rise. Do you believe that, church? Here's what I think this text is trying to teach us as the centerpiece of our faith is that there's a way that we as Christians can go through life. Yeah, I believe Jesus died and rose again. I, I believe in the resurrection, sure. And we can say it. And we can maybe even, we can, uh, maybe even memorize this text. Yes, I, I agree. That which is of first importance. Jesus died and was buried, paid, paid for our sins, and rose again on the third day. It's the gospel. We may even be able to quote the passage. And we may be firm on the resurrection of Jesus. We have the gospel. But we're living like we're not quite sure about eternity. We're, yes, I'm unmovable on the gospel. I got it. I know what Jesus did for me. But yet the rest of our lives don't reflect the implications of Jesus rose. He's just the beginning. You will rise like Jesus. And if we're that fixed on that truth, everything changes in our life because this is not all that we have. If we're as fixed on the fact that Jesus rose as we are, that we will rise, he says that becomes the centerpiece of our life. What Paul is saying is, he says, live like the resurrection is the absolute fact that it is. Live like the resurrection is the centerpiece of the universe. Live like the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what all of creation is longing for. It's what all, all humans have been urgent for. It's what, what we know that God has hardwired into us. Every generation, every culture has been urgently waiting. When will we find out how to overcome death? And God gave us a picture in the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus Christ, dead, buried, and rose again. He's saying, live like that is such a key truth to your life, like it is the most important truth to your life, that everything else is different. Live like the resurrection redefines every part of your life. Christian, I believe that is the difference between an awake church and a sleeping church. A sleeping church, yes, there are Christians, they can articulate the gospel but their lives have not been utterly dominated by it. Their lives are not so flipped over upside down living recklessly for it that their lives are conformed to the patterns of this world. But a church that's awakened is a church that believes so much that Jesus has rose from the dead and knows that he's the first fruits and knows so much that we also will rise, that we know that this life is not all that we have. Amen. Church, may, may, we, may we be as a church so awakened to the centrality of the resurrection in all the universe that we live lives like this is not all we've got. And would we be a part of, not just City Red, but would we be a part of a South Florida church that awakens to the reality of what we already profess to believe and realize that I can give this life because 
This isn't all I have. This is just the beginning. Listen to the implications of what he's already said. He said, our preaching's in vain. He says, we're still, if there's no resurrection, our preaching's in vain. We're still locked in our sins, and this life is our only hope. But could we so believe in the resurrection, Christian, would you so believe in the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of your life because of faith in Jesus that you live like you have a sermon to preach from God? Would you live like your life is a message from God to the lost that Jesus has been risen to, risen back from the grave? Would you live like you've got a message, a calling on your life with every coworker, with every neighbor, with every family member, with every friend, with every social media interaction, with every South Floridian that you have an interaction with? Could you be praying in that moment, Lord, I've got a message over my life. I've got a calling over my life. I've got a message to preach. Christ rose from the dead, and by, by that gift, I too will rise, and I want every person that I meet that is currently facing an eternity without that victory to know that truth. You say, I, I, I don't know how to preach that. It's right here in 1 Corinthians 15. You declare the victory in Jesus and how he's raised your life and will raise, and that you have hope that he will raise your life. Say, I don't know how to do that. Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that God worked through that Holy Spirit, bringing life to a void, bringing creation to a void. You've got all the power you need inside of you. Would you live like you have a sermon over your life to preach? Because that's the substance and meaning of our lives. You're a witness that he sent to the ends of the earth. Christian, would we, secondly, would we live like we're no longer in our sin? You're a new creation, Christian. That sin had chained you. That sin had ensnared you. That sin is not your friend. It, it captured you. It held you down. It, it held you hostage. Jesus sets you free from those chains. That's the old you. That's not the current you. Would you wake up every morning rising from your sleep as one who's rise, been risen from the grave already and experienced just grace new every morning? Would we live out as if the resurrection was true and we are truly free from our sins, anticipating victory every single day by the power of the gospel? Would we live like that, Christian? Could you live like, like you've put your sin aside, no longer ever to revisit that? You say, I don't know. I've got these sin struggles. I've got these sin addictions. I've got these things that I can't turn from anymore. I've, I've tried. You don't understand. I've, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, but his grace is new every morning. Don't listen to the lies of the devil that you are so far from God or that you are such a terrible sinner. Don't listen to those lies as he's pouring shame over you. You've risen, Christian. You've been risen out of that. Those things no longer apply to you. You are a new creation. That's the reality that you are. Start again today. Start again this hour. Start again this minute in the reality of the resurrection that he has already won for you. May we live like we're no longer in our sins because Christ has risen, and that is true of you.
and Christian, can we live like this life is not our only hope? That the things that this world dangles in front of us and distracts us with, that's not your hope. What does this world have for you? Eternity stretches before you, Christian. You're going to be in the presence of the source. God himself, the source of all that is beautiful, of all that is wonderful, of all that is holy, of all that is pleasurable, of all that is joyous, of all that is peaceful, of all that is restful, of all that's exhilarating. You'll be at the source of all that's beautiful, of all of creation. You will be basking in the source of God Almighty. You will be there presently in the presence of of your Savior, the one who, who purchased your soul, ransomed you, by, the, by his blood, you'll be there, surrounded by the presence of the Holy Spirit that's no longer just an ember, a flame inside of you. You'll be engulfed with all of those, those loved ones who've gone before you in Christ Jesus. You will spend that. You'll be more alive with a new body. That is what's stretching before you. What does this brief life have for you? How can this life, how can, this life is, is not just what I, what I can achieve through it. It's not just what I can, the money I can make through it, the things I can collect through it. It's not just the mark I can leave with it. It's not just the impact I have. I'm not under the tyranny of, of waiting for one day to find justice in this life. I've got eternity stretching before me. I'm not waiting for the redemptions that may or may not happen in this life. I'm not waiting for the recognition that may or may not happen in this life. I'm expending this life for the glory of my Savior because he stretched eternity before me. That is the reality. May we live like because the resurrection is true, I will rise too. And this life is not the only hope that I have. Can we live like that, Christian? Christian, this is what we do, what we tend to do. We know the gospel, and then we get lured to the fountains of youth that this world has to offer. And we go there with such hope and expectation. But when we drink down what the world has to offer, it's bitter. Jesus says, come to the fountain of living water and drink deeply of the living water. Come to him and find refreshment. And when Jesus returns, would he find a people living like the immortality he purchased for us is something we believed with all our hearts. May we live like that's true. Would you pray with me? Christian, would you stay in a moment of a moment of decision between you and God. Maybe this passage is convicting you like it has been me. 
stay before the presence of God. Maybe you are sensing the Holy Spirit saying, yes, you believe the gospel. Now live like it's true. Live like eternity stretches before you. A greater abandon that this is not all you have. If that's something you'll work that you want the Holy Spirit to do in your life, would you just simply silently right there, Christian, ask him to awaken you. Awaken you to the reality of the resurrection in your life that's coming. Some of you need to find salvation today. Some of you today, you've been still hoping in your religious efforts. You've been hoping in your being good enough, just hoping that everyone goes to heaven, just hoping that it's just been a wish, but today you want to know. The Bible's clear. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And that's written so that we who believe in the name of Jesus Christ will know that we have everlasting life. Walk out of here knowing that you have eternal life. Don't put your faith in your religion. Don't put your faith in your good works. Don't just have an empty wish and a fantasy. Know for sure you will spend eternity in heaven by the work of Jesus on your behalf. Put your faith in Jesus today, what he did, and find salvation once and for all. I want to lead you in that prayer. If you want to put your faith in Jesus, whether you're watching at home or you're at Cooper City or you're at the West Pines campus, if you want to put your faith in Jesus with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, just slip your hand in the air and put it back down so I can pray with you. Praise God. Amen. Anybody else, you say, today is the day I'm going to put my faith in Jesus to find salvation for eternity. I'm not going to put my faith in my own works. Anybody else? Praise God. If you want to take that step, let me lead you in this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you were buried and on the third day you rose again from the grave. And I too will rise because of the work you did to save me from my sins. I will live like that's a reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we celebrate with those who put their faith in Jesus today? If that was you, um, maybe you're watching online, I want you to grab your phone and just go to cityrev.org faith. It's gonna ask you a couple questions and we're gonna mail you a Bible because we wanna come alongside of you on this journey. If you're here and you that was your prayer just then, um, you can also go to cityrev.org faith and we'll mail you a Bible or one step better, you can just stop by guest services in the front lobby and we'll hand you a Bible today. You can walk out of here with God's word and we just wanna celebrate with you. Church, we're gonna close with a song and the song is a reminder that we have risen with Christ. We are risen up to be worshipers and spend our lives as worshipers of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we celebrate the work he's done Thanks for us? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. 
If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.